News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. We've got two uh, companies that are very much in the news in our spotlight tonight. We'll be talking to Mark Sardi, Chief Executive of Ascendus Health, in just a moment. And then a little later in the program, David Hurwitz, the Chief Executive of Transaction Capital. You've been following both the stories, Justin. Uh, Ascendus Health, recapitalization, a company in trouble, Transaction Capital, a company that's flying. So it's interesting to contrast the two. Two different companies at different ends of the spectrum. I do think um, Mark Sardi has done an incredible job to get the business to to the presentation today. Um, It looked for all money that that, uh, it was going to go into business rescue and shareholders were going to be left with nothing. And then in Transaction Capital's case, good results, solid results. Um, But the most interesting part is that they're looking to increase their stake in WeBuy cars from 50% to 75%. Yeah, well, from just under 50%, 49.9%. Remember, we were asking them about that. So that's a big move. Uh, but we've got Mark Sardi uh, with us in our virtual studio alongside the inimitable, one and only, Pit Fulion. Lovely to have you with us, Pit. <laughs> nice to be here. Thanks, Alex. Do you know much about those two companies? I know you know a lot about Transaction Capital, but Ascendus, uh, in fact, I think both of them are, are, uh, are very much on your radar. They're both in, in my fund. Uh, I own both shares, yes. And uh, before we bring Mark in, um, Justin's view that uh, he's turned this or made it possible for shareholders to get something out when they yeah. might have got nothing out. Do you agree? Yeah, getting nothing out was a realistic uh, probability for shareholders. I think Mark and his team have done a fantastic job. But debt workout is never easy. Those negotiations must have been tough. I, I, I can't even say I would have wanted to be a fly on the wall because I think they're too tough for that even. Um, you know, the debt guys, all you know, the upside they get is the money they put in. There's no further upside. So they, they'll try and eke out every last cent. So those are really, really tough negotiations. And I think where shareholders ended up today is, is a good outcome. At the business conference, you had bundles of companies you told us about that could go bust or actually could yeah. come uh, come right. Yeah. Wasn't That's Ascendus right. one of them? Ascendus was one of them. It's my bundle of twigs analogy I use. Um, you you buy a bundle of these uh, these companies that you know uh, from an equity shareholder's point of view, uh, they could break and snap and be worthless. But if you buy enough of them and put them together and bundle them together, you actually come up with something quite strong. And so far, it's working out very well. I, you know, Ascendus being one of them. And there's a couple others out there in the market as well. Mark, uh, I, I know your background uh, from Nedbank Capital, where you were a, a top banker. Having once spent some time in a bank, I know that it's quite tempting to stay in a bank. They pay you well. They look after you well. There are lots of share options. And yet you, you went off into a different career. You didn't stick around in, in, at Nedbank. You've done quite a few interesting assignments before this one. But all of them seem to be, true with uh, CFO, working at, at Cipla, uh, House of Busby, they seem to be pretty stable, nice jobs. And then you go and jump into the fire uh, with Ascendus. When you arrived there in 2019, was already in deep trouble. Why did you decide to do that? What was the motivator? 
So, Alec, I think, you know, when you look at from outside in, the, the balance sheet was a disaster. There's, there's no no question. So, bad balance sheet tick. But fundamentally, the underlying businesses, the, the vast majority were good. There's one one dreadful acquisition called SciTech, which was the um, sports nutrition business. But in large part, good businesses, I just think, you know, the, you know, the previous regime paid too much for them and structured them with too much debt. And as you know, when the music stops, and notwithstanding, you know, a solid set of underlying results to, to December, when your debt grows by your market cap every six months, that is unsustainable. And so, you know, to, 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 your, to your attraction, I think when you do have good businesses, there is always the prospect of salvaging something as long as the debt doesn't run away. So the secret is, I think, to, to cauterize the wound as quickly as you can. On the other hand, if it had gone pear-shaped, it wouldn't have done your career much good. I know. I can safely say it wouldn't. So, so it's either blind faith or, or massive stupidity. But I think you know, maybe fortune favors the brave slash foolish on this one. I, I'm really getting at it being a calculated risk rather than idiocy. Pitt, uh, you don't have somebody with Mark's pedigree jumping into a situation in, in, yeah. which, which is unrescuable. Did that play much part in your decision to put Ascendus into your bundle of twigs? Very much so. I mean, uh, you know, again, the underlying business, as Mark points out, were mostly very good businesses. Uh, the problem was the debt. And if you're going to work that situation out, then I think they might, uh, and as Mark has shown now, there is something left uh, for shareholders, something left, left uh, to salvage for them. Uh, and there's value, uh, and that's that's so. So you can't just buy any business with too much debt. You need to look at the underlying operating end to see whether they can actually stand on their own two feet. Um, and I think I, I, I'm sure that's what Mark did before he even uh, took the job on day one. That he looked at the business and saw that there was some good stuff there. Now, my colleague Justin Rowe Roberts follows Twitter, and he follows the conversation around many of the stocks of which Ascendus has been. <laughs> In the ascendancy, hasn't it, Justin? Exactly. I, I mean, the ascendance activist investors have done have done a great thing. I mean, active, activism investing is so huge in the U.S., and it often works. You look at guys like Bill Ackman, what he does with Perishing Square. He goes into businesses, takes a firm stance, gets board seats, and this is what we're seeing with, with the, the ascendance activists, and let's hope it can continue um, to other businesses that might fall, find themselves in similar situations. So what did they make? of the decision today and, and mark will take us through it in a moment but the the big announcement that came out ascendus which seems to the the drowning uh, uh swimmer now appears to be on the shore exactly so harry smith who's the representative of activists uh, the ascendus activists who will be on the show later he was happy with the announcement he thought it was fair and i guess we'll have to unpack in greater detail when he's on the show in about half an hour but from your side, Mark, how long did it take to negotiate this? Given that you've been with the company since late 2019, uh, you weren't there for very long when you said that this business needs recapitalizing. Uh, you, you had the banks at your throat in June last year. How long did it take to, to work what you've announced today? And, and what exactly have you announced today in simple yeah. terms? Yeah. Um, so Alex, uh, we, we tried a number of different ways to, you, you needed to basically write a check for 400 million euros, which was the 
the capital plus the interest. So we looked at leveraging some of the operating companies, the good businesses. We looked at um, selling certain businesses, putting in a convertible bond, doing a take private. Um, We looked at merging certain of the underlying entities, gearing up the merged entity, keeping an equity stub. But all of those, if you can't come up, and this is a learning for me, with the full check plus the interest, you don't get the right to play And so while these things might have been good at the edges and good for shareholders, unless you can say, banks, here's your capital plus interest, they say, go and think again. I think where where things started to sort of harden is with the arrival of of Letter One and Blantyre, who said, look, this path that the lenders have put you on is not a sustainable one, because what they've said is you have to sell your way out of this problem. So sell all the crown jewels, sell whatever you can. And as you and I both know, when you're selling something with sort of the the fire sale, you know, sign above your head, full value extraction is, is, is almost impossible. So the you know, end of January, they said, we don't believe this is going to be in the best interest of shareholders. We are going to not allow you to sell anything else. And we think your number one priority now has to be to renegotiate the terms of the debt. And what it's done, it says, let's have a look at what our debt looks like at the end of August. And it's around 447 million euros. And then say, okay, what are we giving you in exchange for that 447 million euros? We're giving you Remedica, which is a 40 million EBITDA euro business in um, Cyprus. We're giving you Sunway, which is a 12 to 14 million EBITDA business in Romania. We're giving you Pharma Leader, which is about a 3 million EBITDA business. And we are giving you the net proceeds from the sale of our South African animal health business, our biosciences business and the Respiratory Care Africa business, which is the one that played really well into COVID, the the ventilation and the nasal high flow devices. The sum of those assets and cash flows are used to discharge that 447 million obligation. Then what we're left with is three South African assets. One is a pharma business, a consumer business, and a medical devices business, excluding RCA. Now, interestingly, each of those three businesses, I think, would be attractive to a number of potential players in the market. So I don't discount a lot of inbound interest on those remaining assets between now and the vote and perhaps beyond. How did you make a decision on what to sell? Was it forced on you or um, you mentioned earlier that the banks perhaps wanted the crown jewels? How did you come to the decision that these are the assets that we want to sell. And I'm asking this because Tongart went through something similar where they've offloaded their starch division, which in a way was a mm. crown jewel. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, the crown jewels are always the ones that are easiest to sell because there's always a market for it. And also when your debt is a staggering, whatever it is, you know, 7 billion rand, uh, and your biggest asset and your most profitable one is the is the single biggest path to sort of reduction in debt, you almost have no optionality. The guys say, this is it. If you don't do it, bad things will happen. We will, you will be in default on, on certain things. So that decision was largely taken out of our hands. Um, but I do think, you know, given the underlying performance in those assets, it allowed us to trade them away that at least preserved a bit more optionality for those South African businesses. Pitt, was it a good uh, restructuring? I think so. As Mark says, you know, when you sit with these guys, you don't have a lot of choices. Uh, and uh, and I think where Shell landed up is is a good place because you're left with this African businesses, which aren't bad business. They're in their own rights. They are they are decent businesses, and in other players' hands, they could be worth a lot of money. Um, and the important thing is that the pressure is off. Uh, Sen is not a forced seller anymore. 
So now, you know, you can sit back, take your time and negotiate a good transaction. If there is one, I, I, I'm almost 100% sure there will be offers for these businesses and um, you can negotiate uh, decent prices for them. So I think it's uh, for shareholders, uh, and being one, so I'm not unbiased, um, I think it's a fantastic deal. Mark, I was listening to your presentation this morning with great intent. Afterwards, I had a look at the interim numbers and try to make some conclusions. I've got two questions. I do apologize. We tend to avoid technical questions, but I think these are very important in investors making informed decisions. What contribution of Respiratory Care Africa's, um, what, what, what does that contribute to normalized EBITDA of medical devices? And then what net debt remains in the worst case scenario of Pharma Leader? Okay, so those are very good questions. And if I answer them, I give away material price sensitive information. So, so job well done on asking the right question. <laughs> the challenge I've got is inside that medical devices business, RCA has had a one in 100 year event, you know, turbocharging those earnings. What I will say is we're in the latter stages of selling that business. So we will be releasing a, an announcement which sets out the numbers. Just I think when that happens, you'll be able to, there'll be enough breadcrumbs to say, okay, what was RCA in that half-year performance? So what's left? So that's, and, that, and that's, I know exactly where you're going. So then that's the, the EBITDA for the remaining three businesses. Add that to consumer, add that to, to pharma, put a multiple on that, so then subtract the debt, and then you get an equity value. And I think, so, to, so, so I can't unfortunately answer that until we've either put the proformers out in the, uh, the circular or disclose some, some more information RCA. But to your point around debt, there's one bucket that's hardwired. There's a, a 15 million euro equivalent or 260 million rand that will be a, a permanent day one facility. And then we will have a 20 million euro or 350 million rand working capital facility. Now, as you know, working capital facilities aren't permanent debt. They're there just to get you through the trough of your working capital cycle. So those that will go up and down. But the permanent debt there is, let's say, 15 million euros. It costs around 10% there or thereabouts. And it's all in PIC. That's important because PIC is non-cash pay. And I've said, whatever we do in the next 18 months, we need to make sure we've got sufficient working capital and cash flow to either optimize these businesses, you know, to, you know, to, to make them ready for sale or to get them to a point where they can justify a residual listing. So um, I hope that gives you some of the breadcrumbs, but unfortunately you won't be able to piece the puzzle together until you back out um, RCA. And now to bring back our audience, who have actually switched off for listening to this uh, intense <laughs> detail. Uh, we did see a share price up nearly 10% today. So clearly the announcement was welcomed, but it's a heck of a long way from where the shares were 2017, 2018. I asked the same question of Stefan Collar at EOH, who in some ways is similar. You didn't have the fraud that he had, uh, but where we had EOH at a, at a, well, exponentially higher share price than they are today. For those shareholders who, who bought 2016, 17, 18, uh, should they just get to understand that the business is not going to be worth those kind of prices, or do you have a path to get back to that level. And like, I don't think there's any world in which you'll get back to that level for, for a number of reasons. One, you know, we sold a business called Cytec, and just as an example to, to just to underscore what happens if you make a bad acquisition. 
We paid 170 million euros for this business. We sold it for five. The reason we sold it for five is we, if we hadn't, we would have to put another 15 million in just to keep it going. So if you take the, the difference between 170 and five and multiply it by 20, that's 3 billion rand. Divide that by the number of shares, that's six rand a share there, that's gone forever. And the debt stays behind. So, you know, you've got these, these permanent downward resets of value from, from some unfortunate acquisitions along the way. So I don't see that happening. I think your, your next best actionable alternative from, from where we are now is business rescue. And that scenario, shareholders, you know, will, will almost certainly get zero. And so I think this, you know, at the very least creates some optionality and some time for us to go after the things that matter in the underlying businesses and to make sure that they're attractive for, you know, potential third-party investors. Are you sitting in the dark there, Mark? Because in our virtual studio, it's very dark. We can hardly see you now. And you've been kind Maybe of fading away. Maybe mind if I turn the lights on? Oh, I'd love you to turn the lights on. It is winter now. Uh, but but uh, while you're busy turning the lights on, didn't... Wasn't there some speculation? Aha, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have Mark, uh, Mark uh, nice and clean. Fantastic, thank you. Was there some speculation that Ascendus was going into business rescue and then before today's announcement, the share price suddenly picked up again? Yeah, I think that was on Monday, Alec, if I can remember correctly. I think where it all goes wrong in these kind of things, I don't think it's Mark's issue and stuff. So many different businesses, the investment banks, uh, other corporate advisors are involved in the transaction. So I think people speak, and then when that news gets out a little bit early, people climb on. I don't know, Mark, what's your tag? So all I can think is it's a relief rally because, I mean, to your earlier question, Justin, there's no tangible set of data for you yet to make up your mind on whether this is a – a fantastic deal, a good deal. It's better than naught for sure, but you really have no way of calibrating just how good or bad or indifferent it is. So um, I don't know if it's buying on, you know, speculation, selling on fact, but I do think there's a, there's a some degree of relief in, um, in, the, in the share price rally. I mean, I'm sure the guys at Famous Brands feel your pain because what happened with your 170 million euro acquisition is a little bit like what happened with uh, their burger franchise that they bought in the, in the UK. And that's also... Uh, gone now. Gourmet Burger was a Gourmet Burger King or something along those lines. Pitt, uh, how do you know as an investor when management, it's not Mark's fault because he's coming to fix things, but yeah, how do yeah. you know when, when management is overreaching, like in that case of the 170 million euro here or uh, the, the burger franchise that famous, famous brands bought? Well, there's always a couple of clues. The first one is offshore acquisitions. Um, most companies, South African companies who make offshore acquisitions just waste the money. Um, they have this compelling urge to go offshore and buy stuff that nobody else wants at a very high price. And it just happens time and time again. So when somebody goes offshore and makes an acquisition, that's your first clue. The second clue is when you make a lot of acquisitions in a short space of time, uh, you know, when you have like deal frenzy happening, I think that's another clue. And the third one is when you're financing a lot of the deals with debt. I think that's your third clue. And, you know, it happened with Steinhoff. Uh, uh, you know, uh, forget about the fraud, just the strategy that Steinhoff followed of massive acquisitions funded with debt. You know, it, it creates problems after all. Uh, and lots of companies have done that. Woolworths in Australia, you know, buying. You know, it just happens. And those are the clues you look for. And then you just stay away and you wait for the dust to settle. And sometimes it takes a long time. I mean, Ascendus, the dust has been settling now for a long time uh, before we decided to get involved. 
So, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, things take time and one has to be patient. Gourmet Burger Kitchen, it's called. And it, it, it's yeah. really, it's a pretty crummy place. I, I, I tried it a couple <laughs> of times, being, a, being a, somebody who loves burgers. And it, it really wasn't gourmet. Uh, by any means. Anyway, so Mark, that uh, I'm sure you would agree with Pitt having had the uh, felt the sharp end of what's uh, what the decisions that were made some time ago. Uh, that when you see a South African company buying offshore, just be very careful. Agreed, and and I think you know I think the one that has probably got it right is is Fushini, but that is the exception that probably you know proves the rule. But I think you know you can't underestimate going offshore, yes, but then doing too many things at the same time, because the problem is your due diligence hurdle just drops. You know you're you know you're shooting at anything that moves. I'm not saying that that is the case, but it is hard to keep management focused on the underlying businesses when there's all this distraction going on. Thanks very much to Mark Sardi, the Chief Executive of Ascenders Health, and I'm sure there are many people in that company who are feeling, uh, well, sleeping a lot easier tonight uh, after the decision by the banks and the executives of Ascenders Health to uh, come to a, an agreement which will see the company continuing into the future. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, from a company that's struggled a lot to one that's been flying high, David Hurwitz is the Chief Executive of Transaction Capital. Good to have you on the program, David, on a day when you released your financial results. And, well, however you want to look at it, they, they're strong. We're not going to go through the individual numbers, but what we are going to ask you about is We Buy Cars. Now, we've spoken to you about We Buy Cars. It looks like uh, it was a great acquisition. Now you're taking it above 50% to just under 75%. Uh, you did say last time we spoke to you that you were quite keen to do this at some point, uh, but this does appear to be a little earlier than uh, than most of us expected. Yeah, it is earlier than um, I think than the market expected. Um, there was a structure in place which... Uh, from years one to year three, uh, if certain conditions were met, uh, we could start uh, looking at, um, well, they could start selling more shares to us, quite frankly. Uh, I think what's happened is that we've been very, very impressed with the quality of uh, the management. Um, we've been very, very impressed with how robust this business is. And um, and uh, all in all, uh, probably most importantly, we are very excited about the sector. The used vehicle sector internationally has boomed over the last few years. I think COVID has even given it a bit of a tailwind. More people are are trading down and buying secondhand cars instead of new cars due to uh, disposable income constraints and also prices of new cars going up. And then the next thing is that cars are are kind of uh, the last large asset class that needs to fall into e-commerce. So there's a big e-commerce and online trade happening, and that made us very excited. Um, I think what made the founders who are selling, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the private equity team who are selling to us, uh, uh, um, kind of what brought them along was that uh, they're excited about what TC can do as far as the finance and the insurance element of this business goes. So for these reasons, this has been accelerated. David, did I read the numbers correctly? But uh, the growth in March 2021 uh, in WeBuy Cars, and the turnover is uh, is a, a multiple uh, of what it was pre-COVID. 
has it really expanded that rapidly or, or did I read the wrong numbers? No, so if you take a look at volumes, I mean, pre-COVID, uh, we buy cars was both buying and selling roughly about 5,000 cars a month. Um, and if you take a look at where we are now, in certain months, we've been hitting about 8,000. So, you know, that is, that is significant growth. Um, and it's also come with a greater penetration of earning finance and insurance um, revenue with margins staying stable. So, you know, this business really is growing quickly. Uh, we now sell about 40% of all of our cars online, which really helps significantly in terms of turning your stock quicker. So, um, you know, with a similar infrastructure because of this online capability. You don't have to invest, invest into bricks and mortar. So this is all, um, you know, really, really driving the growth. And, you know, headline earnings was up by 35% um, and uh, revenues up by 32%. So it really is um, a fantastic opportunity for us. Peter Fillion is with us as well, one of your fans, uh, as they told us at the Biz News Investment Conference. Uh, Pitt, the price that is being paid for the additional 25% in we buy cars. Now, you said the first uh, 49.9% was at a, an extremely good uh, level. Do you feel the same way about the additional quarter? Is that is that for Pitt or for me? Uh, sorry, it was for Pitt, but Pitt seems to have muted <laughs> himself. I think. No, I think I'm back. I oh, you are back. Yeah. Indeed, we got okay, you now. Yeah, mm. but 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 Dave can answer that. I mean, I'm more than happy for Dave to answer. <laughs> no, no, I want to yeah, know from you, Dave. <laughs> so let me. I want to know. Well, maybe from... maybe maybe if I could interject, is that we only issued a caution me, so we haven't we haven't disclosed anything around the price yet, and maybe that's why it's being a bit tongue in cheek. Um, yeah. You know, we bought the first uh, uh, 49.9 at a P of about 10 and a half. And um, I, I can't talk about the price. It's still under negotiation. But certainly we will have to pay a premium for control. I can uh, say that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a pity. But Pete, uh, generally on the results and on that acquisition, looking yeah. back at it? So I think it's a great acquisition for, for both parties. And that's always a hallmark of a good acquisition that both parties win. So I think We Buy Cars got a fantastic partner. And as David points out, F&I, finance, finance and Insurance, is a key part of that business. And if they can uh, grow that faster, that'll add a lot of value. But if you just compare We Buy Cars valuation or the price that transaction capital paid for it for a very similar company in the U.S. called Carvana, which is also moving second-hand car sales online. Carvana trades, it's a listed company, it trades, it doesn't make money, it makes losses still, um, but it trades at three and a half times sales, enterprise value sales. So the multiple that transaction capital paid for WeWork Cars is a quarter of that. And it uh, makes for a business money. That actually makes, and it makes money, yeah. Mm. So I think it's, yeah, no, I think it's maybe. Uh, when I was having a look at the three divisions that you have, uh, David, the one that... That obviously the question that, that begs to be asked is now that Tito Mboweni has disclosed that all of the taxi owners are only paying a combined 5 million rand a year in tax, uh, their margins presumably, once the tax man gets his claws into them, are going to come under some pressure. Uh, is that going to affect, is a taxi your business, which really does, is, is the biggest part and uh, about a half of the profits that you generate? 
Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I saw that article that was released um, yesterday. Um, I think it's only one data point. I mean, certainly, if you know, if tax flows out, then that does put affordability uh, pressure on the industry. Where we are right now is that we see we've seen collections recover to about 95% or so of pre-COVID levels, and our book is performing really well. So we're comfortable with that, and we don't see significant credit risk in our book. Uh, on the stocks question, it really is only one data point, um, and I think there's a long way to go in this debate. Uh, first of all, the industry pays over uh, uh, 7 billion rands worth of fuel levies, um, and it pays over a billion rand worth of that if you just calculate the, you know, the vehicles that are And these vehicles are income producing. So I'm not sure if it's really fair to be charging that to these, you know, to the, to the industry. There should be some credits. Um, so it does contribute over 8 billion rands to, to the fiscus for a start. Um, I think the second thing is that, you know, the industry, uh, about three quarters of South Africans move around in public transport and minibus taxi is 80 Four percent of that of public transport in South Africa, bus and train are subsidised. Minibus taxi receives no subsidy. So that's a debate that also needs to be held. I think it would be pretty unfair of government to come after the industry, um, you know, who is who, who is completely privatised and and doing a public um, service, uh, and and you know hunt them down for tax when they're not giving them any subsidy. So I think there are a lot of things. Uh, I'm not saying that the industry shouldn't pay tax, but I'm saying they certainly aren't the pariahs that people like to make them out to be. And uh, I think, you know, some uh, the government needs to take a full view on the industry before, um, you know, making moves like that. So let's see where it goes. Without being impolite, you are certainly talking your book and certainly the book of your of your customers. But we, we'll see how that thing uh, plays out. It was very surprising to hear that Tito wants to try and take get money out of the out of the taxi industry. They, they, they can't do anything else, uh, government to the taxi industry. So now they want to get money out of them in tax as well. That uh, it could be it could be snowing in Johannesburg in December before that happens. But, but, but if, just to close off with you, David, your debt collection service. The TCRS, the big part of your business. I was astonished to see that you you reckon forty percent of twenty seven million credit active South African consumers have got impaired, what you call impaired credit records. So, in other words, uh, they blacklisted. Is is that an accurate number? Yeah, I wouldn't. That wouldn't be blacklisted. That would be their in arrears. So they're, they're behind on their payments. They may not have been listed, but they will certainly be behind. Um, and that's a number that's been quite consistent for, I mean, I've been tracking that for about four or five years now. So, yes, that's pretty consistent. And through COVID, has that risen much? It's actually gone down slightly, and I think it's because, um, you know, banks haven't been actually collecting as aggressively as they normally would have. So it's actually resulted in, uh, in, in, you know, because banks haven't asked for the money, hence you don't fall into arrears. David Hewitz is the chief executive of Transaction Capital. Well, Pete, it's been a high flyer on the JSE. It's done a really yeah. good deal with We Buy Cars and continuing to do so now. Is it a stock that you have in your portfolio? It is. Yeah, it is. Uh, on the face of it, it looks, it doesn't look like a value stock. It's got a high PE ratio, but, you know, PE ratios are what they are. I think the value in transaction capital sits with the platform they've built uh, and the growth uh, prospects for the business, they, the, the different platforms they have there. I think all three of them 
uh, fantastic growth prospects, and I, I don't think one is paying too much for them, at, even at these prices. And they've built the platform, as you say, so that they're going to take advantage of the digital uh, or the move towards digital. Justin, are you happy with what you're seeing from uh, transaction capital? I am happy. Follow? As Pete's saying, I mean, if you have to look at it on a relative valuation basis, PEs, PS, all that boring stuff, it's not that attractive now, but it's a great business. There's vertical integration between the taxi business and now we buy cars. But Pete, something that I want to, that, that caught my eye now when you were speaking, you said that it was a great deal for both parties. So I watched that presentation of yours where you broke down the global peers and how cheap We Buy Cars was relative to the global peers. Yeah. How was that deal good for both parties? Yes, we uh, Transaction Capital got a bargain, um, getting 50% for $1.8 billion. But how did the original owners uh, get a good deal if it was such a good acquisition and so undervalued? Well, they still own 50% up to now uh, and even after to this, they'll still own 25%. Um, so whatever benefits the transaction brings to the business, they will share in those benefits. Uh, so and from that point of view, it's, it's a good deal. And I think the business under the umbrella of We Buy Cars can probably achieve a lot more than it can on its own. Uh, so you give up a little bit now to get a lot more later on. It's, it's a point that uh, I remember a very uh, smart investor who uh, uh, loves to keep a low profile. When he came to me with the internet company that I, I started, uh, he said to me, list it and I'll take you five years into the future in five months by giving you the capital that will enable you to grow. So it, and it was a win-win for everybody in that case. And, and those are the great deals when a founder stays involved, remains excited about it and i i can see i, I relate exactly to what you said there pit uh, before we uh, we go on to the news headlines of the day and we're actually shifting our show around a little bit uh, we have a flash briefing which we usually start the show with at 5 30 we're going to give you like a news bulletin at six o'clock and then go through the markets why don't you just think a little pit about what's going on in the u.s we see right now the nasdaq's down two percent the dow continues to slide after a really bad day yesterday it's down one and a quarter percent love to get your views in just a moment but first let's hear from our editor at large jackie cameron with this flash briefing the COVID-19 pandemic has powered up South Africa's online retail sector. A new study that includes bank data reveals that the total growth for online retail in 2020 came to 66%. This brings the total of online retail to more than 30 billion rand. The study's lead, Worldwide Works MD Arthur Goldstuck, is quoted as saying that the most astonishing aspect of this total is that it is more than double the 14 billion rand reached in 2018 in just two years. South Africans are not vaccine-hesitant. In fact, at least 7 in every 10 adults surveyed in the coronavirus rapid mobile survey would get a jab if it was available. The survey's principal researchers say that the youth and those with only a primary school education are more likely to be vaccine-hesitant. So far, less than 420,000 healthcare workers have been vaccinated in South Africa. The Opposition Democratic Alliance describes the slow rollout of vaccines, particularly among healthcare workers, as the greatest injustice. And it points out that the country is possibly on the brink of a third wave of infections and other variants of the pandemic have been detected in the country. Dutch-listed technology investor Process plans to raise its stake in South African parent Naspers to nearly 50%. This will be in a share swap deal that will move part of its huge holding in China's Tencent to Amsterdam from Johannesburg. Naspers is Africa's biggest listed company because of its Tencent holding, but its shares trade at a steep discount to the value of its stake. 
U.S. consumer inflation rose far more than expected in April to 4.2% year-on-year, with core inflation up at 3%. Standard Chief Economist Kevin Lings notes that U.S. inflation could remain uncomfortably high for an extended period, unsettling financial markets. His analysis shows that the risk of sustained higher inflation in the U.S. has seldom been more extreme than is currently evident. I'm Jackie Cameron. That was your Biz News Flash Briefing. For more on those and the other big stories of the day, do visit biznewsradio.com. BrightRock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Here's Justin. The JSE All Share Index was up at 67,400, to still up 5% to 142% as people start gearing up for the weekend on hump day. Process up 2.4%, whilst NASPIS was down 1.6% as the index heavyweights announced further corporate action, which we'll unpack during the show. And multi-choice lost 6% to 120 rand a share. In the currency markets, the rand was flat against all the major currencies to 14 rand 05 to the dollar, 19 rand 81 to the pound, and 16 rand 97 to the euro. Gold is low at $1,824 an ounce. Brent crude is up at $70 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 780,000 rand a bitcoin. Well, Pete, uh, let's pick up on the U.S. markets. NASDAQ down by 2% today. Uh, and it's really, it's having a pretty torrid time in the last few days. What are you making of this? Is it, is it the long-awaited end of the upward swing or just a healthy correction? Well, first of all, who knows? Uh, you know, I, 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 I do think one should not place too much emphasis on daily moves in the market because that is a random walk as Bertrand McHugh wrote about years and years ago. But I think behind what's happening specifically today is the fact that the inflation number for the U.S. was released. It came out higher than expected. So I think the market is now starting to think about the uh, the you know what high inflation might mean for valuations of different parts of the uh, of the market, um, and I think what is hap- what has been happening you know for a few months now is that long duration growth assets have been under relative pressure at least the tech stocks and others, and shorter duration value type investments have been relative out. In fact, they've, in absolute terms, they've done fantastically well. Um, because their cash flows are generally right here up front right now, and they're not influenced as much by long-term interest rates. So, so I think there's a bit of a, there, there's a, there's a movement or a, a switch happening from growth to value. And I think that is only just started. Um, I'm of opinion that it has a long way to go still. You've performed incredibly well by not being stuck in a deep value or a, or a high growth area by being flexible. Yeah. Are you yeah. moving your portfolio now to value stocks? The portfolio has always been weighted towards value stocks. I mean, I am a value investor, but it does contain stocks like transaction capital, which we spoke about earlier, which is by no means a value situation, although I do think it's trading at less than the present value is future cash flows, which means it's cheap. Um, but yeah, I, I do think the ability to invest across the spectrum is quite a powerful one. Uh, and very few people, you know, people generally get boxed into mm. this or that, and they find it very hard to move. And I think that is one of the reasons why I think this move from growth to value 
will endure for quite a while because I think there's a large body of investors out there which have been investing for ten for more than a decade now in one direction. And it's going to take time to swing them to the other direction because you sort of get stuck in the way you do, which has been very successful, but you get stuck in that way and it takes time to swing. So, so I think this is the start of a long-term uh, switch out of growth and into value. This market report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. You're listening to the BizNews Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Peter, I spent a productive 45 minutes this morning on a conference call with uh, Bob van Dijk and Basil Skordos of NASPAS, stroke process, with a decision that the group has made for process to buy roughly half of the shares that, uh, that are held by NASPAS shareholders and then to swap them over to process. They're very confident that they're going to get, I think it's 45.4%, uh, and it's going to make a lot of changes. I'm going to, uh, we're going to play in a moment a highlight of a package that I put together, which is about, the package is about 15 minutes, this highlight's about four minutes. But before we go there, today, when the announcement came out, as the markets opened, NASPAS and Process were both up 3%. As we've just heard from Justin, they finished the day in the negative. That's quite a big swing uh, from being very positive yeah. about the deal. Uh, sorry, did NASPAS fall? So process was up 2.4%, whilst N- NASPAS was down 1.6%, a five, nearly a 5% divergence. Why was that, Pete? Thanks, thanks for, for – uh, for, uh, uh, I only heard the NASPAS side. I didn't hear the process side. So process up, NASPAS down. As Justin said, what's the story? Uh, I, I'd probably make three comments about that. First of all, I don't understand the story. I have no idea what they're trying to do. Uh, and I think the market is still trying to figure it out, which shows in the price movements uh, that NASPAS is down and prices is up. I think the market's trying to figure out ways to arbitrage this, to play the game, because that's what NASPAS is doing, or Price is doing. They're playing a game, and the market's trying to figure out a way to play the game. Uh, the second thing I will say is that I don't know what management are doing, but they're spending a lot of time on these corporate structures uh, where I think the time could probably be best spent elsewhere. Uh, and the third thing I would say is that process was brought into creation in, I think, September of 2019. That's two years ago, almost two years ago. Since then, and that was their big attempt to start narrowing the discount. Since then, the discount has just widened, and it continues to widen. So the market is giving everything they do the thumbs down, uh, and I'm not sure that they realize this yet, uh, but those are the comments I would make. What they did say today, because I posed very similar questions to the ones that uh, that you're talking about now, what they did say was that Process has a smaller discount, a much smaller discount. In the last year, Process is up 50%, NASPAS is up 30%. And as a consequence, NASPAS shareholders can get a benefit of uh, an immediate benefit. They put the number at $10 billion by swapping their shares into Process. So that's the, the counter side. But let's listen to this clip, and uh, I'm sure you'll have some comments afterwards. Well, it's been a year and a half since NASPERS, the JSE's dominant listing, re-engineered the business by floating its new European subsidiary process on the Amsterdam Stock Exchange. 
According to Chief Executive Bob Van Dyke, the decision to do the float immediately unlocked $16 billion in value for NASPAS shareholders. Today, the group announced another step in this project value unlock. NASPAS shareholders are being offered to convert their NASPAS shares into process stock. NASPAS shareholders will be entitled to tender all of their shares in this swap, but because Process wants to keep its NASPAS stake below 50% for now, it's only guaranteeing to allow a minimum of 45.4% of each shareholder's holding to be converted. Of course, if less shareholders tender what they have or what they own, then those who tender all of their shareholding will get a much higher percentage that they can convert. And it seems to make a lot of sense. As a result of this deal, NASPAS's shareholding in process will fall from 73% to 57%. This will double the free float of process shares, which is important because it elevates the stock into the top 20 of the main Eurostoxx index and thus makes it a must-buy for many index-tracking funds. The opposite occurs with NASPAS, whose share of the main JSC index will fall from 23% to 14% itself. Not a bad thing. The major issue for process NASPAS is the huge discount at which the stock trades relative to the market value of their major asset, which is 31% ownership of Hong Kong-based internet giant Tencent. Because it's listed in Europe, Process trades at a smaller discount to the value of this 10 cent stake than does SA-listed NASPAS, and that gap is widening. For instance, in the past year, Process shares rose 50%, while NASPAS gained a relatively modest 30%. NASPAS individual shareholders who opt to swap will be liable for capital gains tax. For those who've owned the shares for a long time, that will cost the equivalent of a fifth of the value of what they're actually swapping. There's no such tax applicable for savings institutions like mutual funds. Here's an outline of this morning's telecon, starting off with Bob's unpacking of what the deal really means. So under the deal, process would acquire 45.4% of the issued NASPERS and shares, and that would take its total interest in NASPERS to 49.5%. And what it does is significantly increase the free flows of process, and that will obviously give it a good boost in trading dynamics going forward. But importantly, due to the nature of the cross-holding that we're creating, the transaction basically more than doubles the process free flows economic interest in the group's underlying businesses to around 60% from where it is today at 27%. We expect uh, that the value of the free float will rise to more than $100 billion, and this will take process straight into the top 20 of the Eurostoxx 50 index. And we also believe that the increased liquidity, the improved market index weightings for process, and the enhanced trading dynamics will be very creating for both process and NASPA shareholders. We believe the transaction that we've announced today will create immediate value for NASPA and process shareholders. But it will also extend process of standing as Europe's largest internet company, which will be very creating over the long term. So there you have it, Pete. Any clearer? Look, I, I, I understand what they're trying to do. Um, they're trying to get a big weight index so the index funds have to buy them and thereby push up the share price. 
I'm not sure that's management's job to do that, though. Uh, I think management's job is to run the business, allocate capital properly, and uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why the discount is where it is, is because they've been selling their best asset over the years and investing it in assets which are less good. Uh, so that's one thing, and the structure they've created with process, NOSPAS, they still have a control structure in place. There will always be a discount for that. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, the market has voted. They've said, oh, you, you've, done, you've gone to all this trouble in the past two years, and the discount has just gotten bigger. Um, there's a simple answer to this, but I'm not sure it's one that uh, they are even contemplating at this point. It was interesting. Nobody asked the question, but uh, spontaneously Bob van Dijk explained why they want to keep Tencent because Tencent is a valuable partner and they learn a lot from Tencent. Etc. So it was a little more, a little better than last time when I asked him about the unbundling, uh, where yeah. he, he he did he obviously prepared for it. But what is interesting here as well, which hasn't didn't really come out in that as clearly as it should have, they've got a five billion dollar share buyback problem, a pro- problem uh, program. <laughs> program. They've put aside another five billion dollars to stabilize the share prices between Naspers and uh, and uh, and Process during this whole issue so they're going to be apart from what they're buying back with that five billion that they'd already approved today effectively announced another five billion rand share buyback program and yet the share price of nice went down uh, you know i think the market is you know and uh, we're not shareholders so I, I i i've i haven't got a horse in this race but the market is voting with its feet and that's very clear uh, that's the only thing i can observe from where i sit well, we're going back to the Ascender story now, Pitt, with uh, Harry Smith, who is an activist shareholder. Justin, you've been in, uh, in, in touch with Harry. He's on the line. Uh, what do we, why did you ask him to join us tonight? So the Ascenders activist group, they've, they've all got together. They've, I think they've got 25 to 30% stake in the business, um, all the individuals combined. Um, they've been pushing the group um, not for business rescue, as I think all shareholders had. And yeah, Harry, what did you make of today's presentation by Mark Sardi? He was just on the show. It was upbeat, um, a lot better than, than the worst case scenario, which was business rescue. <clears throat> Yeah, Justin. Um, obviously, <clears throat> we would never be able to satisfy everybody. As you mentioned yourself now, <clears throat> business rescue was a very bad idea, even though we do think that it wouldn't have um, resulted in zero value to shareholders. We do feel the deal on the table is a much better transaction than business rescue. And obviously, we would be supporting the vote that is on the table at the moment. How did you get involved in the first place? Are you a long-term shareholder or were you, did you see an opportunity? No, we are long-term shareholders. Most of the group are long-term shareholders. There are some 20%, 25% of the group that joined afterwards, but most of us have been actively involved in the centers for the past 18 months. So the frustration must be incredibly high given the way that the, uh, well, the share price has been reacting and the problems that uh, to overcome the engagement with the with the bankers, I think the the, the frustration is is underrated at this stage, especially taking what the analysts and the newspapers and everybody who've been chucking at our side all the time. We always knew we had a good business, as Mark said, a good business with good operations, good value. Um, we basically had a debt problem, a balance sheet problem that needed to be solved. And I think Mark has done a phenomenal job since he's come on board um, 18 months ago 
to solve the issues that that has been there. And the difference between us and a normal activist group is where everybody always thought we're just fighting for governance and we're fighting for these issues. We're actually fighting for value for shareholders, for a proudly South African company, for, I mean, we've got a 51% BE stake in the centers at the moment. To us, it was a South African company, South African jobs, South African pension funds, everything on the line. And that is uh, what we were fighting for at the end of the day. Well, Pit Fulion tends to uh, agree with you, Pit, that Mark Sardi's done a good job. Yeah, I know he's done a good job. There's, you know, the alternative is is just bad for shareholders. I, I'm, I'm not sure what um, what an activist group uh, could have achieved here because when you fight against the dead guys in control, you haven't got good cards to play. Um, but I think Mark's done a good job. And uh, if the activist shareholders had uh, were, played a role in supporting him to achieve this outcome, then very well done to them. But it's interesting when people raise their voices, no matter what sphere of life it's in, it does make a difference. And surely, Harry, what you guys have done has at least made uh, certain people who, who, who might have acted differently have a little pause. Uh, so... Do you see this as a victory for the activist grouping? I, I, I strongly believe it's a victory. I strongly believe the the amount of attention that we've got on the deal and the amount of scrutiny we've got on the deal. I mean, the partisan, whatever. I mean, we've reported this to the FC, FSCA, to the JSE, because there's been some share manipulation. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, I do think Blantyre, being the stealth operation that they are and the way that they operate, um, they would have tried to do a sneaky. Um, and I think with the scrutiny that we've put on top of this deal, um, might have put a pause on the operation and said, look, we're probably not going to get away with exactly what we want um, because we've got all these eyes on us now. So we ended up with a better deal at the, at the end of the day, according to me. And our fight is not over. Um, the fact that we have uh, aggregated all the support, which is growing daily, I must say, um, <clears throat> the last count was about 137 million shareholders, uh, shares in the group. I mean, our fight is not over. I mean, we're taking this to board level. We want to get board representation. We want to see if we can change the memorandum of incorporation to make um, the, the, the category one transactions smaller, um, take some power away from the board, get shareholders to have more of a say. And at the end of the day, I don't think any other group has got a direct line to the CEO of any company, um, like NASPERS or Process or anything. And I must say there, Mark has really come to the table when our numbers grew and I can send him a WhatsApp, I can give him a call, I can do anything like that, and he's available, and he gives answers to the shareholders, and that gets a lot of the frustration and everything off everybody's shoulders. It's a fantastic initiative. In many ways, uh, people have been trying to get shareholders together to at least attend AGMs. Uh, you can go to an AGM of a, of a major corporate with thousands of shareholders, and you're lucky to get a handful of shareholders actually pitching up. So what you've done, Mark, uh, uh, sorry, Harry, might well have made Mark think differently, and certainly he has been engaging with you. But better than this, other companies. Pitt, if you get this kind of activism from shareholders, which is something, that shareholder democratization, 
which capitalism is supposedly built on but never really been implemented, it can only be a good thing. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I would agree with the qualification. Sometimes, um, and I'm not saying this is one of them, but sometimes um, transactions and negotiations have to happen out of the public sphere to achieve the right outcome because if it starts getting emotional, people do strange things. So, so I would caveat um, the this triumph of shareholder democracy with that observation that sometimes, not in all cases, but sometimes you need to take it to one side, you need to get rid of the heat, you need to get rid of the emotion, and you need to trust the management of the board who you as a shareholder voted in to do the right deal for you. So, you know, so each, you need to judge each case on its own merits. Um, I think the outcome for the senior shareholder is good, as I said. Um, I'm not sure it would have been very different if activist shareholders had not been involved. I, I don't know. But if they were able to swing something in this direction, then I take my hat off to them. Then I, they've done a fantastic job for shareholders. Harry Smith is uh, the leader or spokesperson for the Ascendus Activist Shareholders. And Justin Rowe Roberts has been following the story. It's a good one, Justin. I, I, I mean, sentimentally, we're all on their side. Exactly. And Alec, does this not set a precedent if something similar has to happen within a listed organization for the future? It sets a positive precedent. The activists are doing so many good things. And I just love the story. You know... So much money is spent by companies to try and get the media on their side, soft-soaping the media, putting advertising in newspapers, uh, financial reports, etc., uh, because they want to influence the court of public opinion. And now suddenly you've got people who have a financial interest in those businesses who also want to hear or have their voices said. So the democratization of shareholding is something very big. I can see Pitts chewing at the, chomping I, I, at the I, bit yeah. to, to take us on here. I no, no, I don't want to take you on. I, I think it's a good thing. Um, but activism, uh, one also has to be very cautious. When you're an activist and you're fighting a company to achieve some sort of outcome, that company is fighting you with your own money. Its legal bills are being paid by the shareholders. Its consulting bills are being paid by the shareholders. Whereas you're fighting them with your own money and they're fighting you with your own money. So sometimes it's not a fair fight either. And sometimes it can end up in the wrong place. So I'm just saying one should be, one should treat each uh, case uh, on its own merits. Pit Fulion, our guest co-host tonight. Uh, you also heard from Justin Rowe Roberts, who's going to bring the program to a close in a moment uh, with the final market report. But before that, Brightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs match life insurance that changes as your life changes. JSE All Share Index was up at 67,400. The up 5% to 142 rand a share as people start gearing up for the weekend on hump day. Process up 2.6%, while NASPAS was down 1.6% as the index heavyweights announced further corporate action. Multi-choice lost 6% to 120 rand a share. and the currency markets, the rand was flat against all the major currencies to 14 rand and 5 cents to the dollar. 
19 rand 81 cents to the pound and 16 rand and 97 cents to the euro. Gold is low at $1,824 an ounce. Brent crude is up at $70 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 780,000 rand a Bitcoin. And right now in the US, the NASDAQ composite is down two and a quarter percent. The Dow's have another, having another tough day, down one and a quarter percent. And the S&P 500 down one and a half percent. And this market report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. We'll be back again tomorrow, same time, same place, at 5.30. Until then, from the team here at Business, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Business. Bet that was great. Uh